Welcome to our Killick Explains Finance podcast series. This first set of 10 podcasts introduces all the basic concepts of saving and investing. It's designed for novices and more experienced savers and investors alike, and it will hopefully be jargon-free and easy to listen to. If you'd like to see any of the videos that link to these podcasts, please go to killick.com forward slash learn. This week, we're gonna look at four reasons to become a saver. Sounds pretty straightforward, Actually, one of the reasons is the reason most people think they save, but there are two or three others which hide a broader reason to become a saver. So, what do we got here? Background is what? Saving can sometimes sound a bit daunting. You see all these projections saying you need to save as much as you can, as early as you can. It all sounds a bit intimidating, and that's not the idea. You get phrases like deferred gratification, big piece of jargon there, suggesting that discipline and self-sacrifice are the route to a happy later life. But actually, it's worth remembering why we're actually doing this and then finding some relatively painless ways to save regularly. Because once it becomes deferring pleasure, cutting out everything you like today so you get a better tomorrow, it all sounds a bit hard. So, happiness. There's reason number one. Most people think that money buys happiness. And up to a point, it does. Not everybody has that view, but there is some science, some studies that have been done to suggest there might be something in it. So, to put the obvious in place, first of all, New York Times 2008 said people in poor countries, not surprisingly, did become happier once they could afford the basic necessities. So, saving, which is how you generate, if you like, that buffer, that extra money above your income, does achieve that and for most people that will improve their happiness on a kind of linear basis. Question then becomes how far do you go? So how much money then buys more happiness? And depending on what study you read, Carmen and Deaton is quite a big one. Once you get to an annual income of around $75,000, if you're lucky enough to get to that level, then actually what they've shown is that the incremental amount of happiness you get from an extra dollar almost doesn't justify the effort you might be putting in to get the extra dollar. So there's a trade-off. In other words, between uh, large amounts of income, potentially large amounts of saving, and actually how happy you feel. So, the ability to basically increase your happiness by consuming stuff, if you want to see it that way, starts to tail off. But, the point is, is money and saving all about just pure day-to-day happiness? Maybe not. Maybe there's more to it, because money can also bring some other things. Or perhaps we need to draw behind happiness and think about what it is we're actually achieving. So here are three things. Number two is choice. So there are four altogether. Number three is independence. And number four is security stroke peace of mind. So regular saving can help you achieve those three over and above that uh, target income level, if you like, that might achieve the day-to-day basic happiness I talked about on the first slides. So choice, what are we talking about here? Well, once we start to build significant savings, then we have a lot more choice. It's pretty simple, this stuff, but about where we live and how big the place we live in is going to be. I don't suffer from big houseitis myself, but some people do. So influencing where we live and what we live in. Number two, where we send our kids to school. This is the choice aspect. You know, people sometimes have a view, I definitely want my kids to go to state school, but actually for those people who definitely want their kids to go to private school, maybe because that's what they did, then saving buys that choice, quite literally. And when we can dial down work, so looking further out, choice about when we decide to take a consultancy role, go part-time. If you're two couples, both earning an income, 
the point at which one of you might be able to do something else. Focus on looking after kids in the early days, perhaps even looking after parents in the later days, or enjoying those activities that you've always promised yourself as you start to dial down work. So, independence. Said there were four factors, and we've done two, so here's number three. This is the ability to make your own financial decisions. You don't want to be dependent on a bank, a lender, a building society. You don't want to carry debt, ideally, all the way through your life. You don't want to be sitting there with credit cards costing you an APR, an annual rate of 20-30%. And basically being able to make your own financial decisions, make your own decisions about when and where you buy and sell assets, for example, is pretty key and not being dependent on other members of the family. It's good for families to talk, it's good for families to plan intergenerationally, but fundamentally you don't want to keep going back cap in hand, whichever generation you're in, whether it be you to your kids, whether it be your kids to you, looking for financial support. And finally, security and peace of mind. Now these are all less tangible factors, but they're quite important. So what are we talking about here? The ability to generate an income after work. To be able to say one day, actually, you know, I'm not dependent on an employer on a nine to five, or perhaps I am much less so than I used to be. The ability to fund care costs. Now that may sound a bit depressing, but people want mentally that ability to say, if the roof falls in, physically, if you like, in health terms, I've got the wherewithal to see myself right in the place I want to be, whether that's a home with care, whether that's moving into a home with care, or whatever the result, whatever the solution might be. And finally, dealing with emergencies. That peace of mind of, well, if something goes wrong, if I were to lose my job tomorrow, if for some reason I couldn't earn out, or even in a worst case, if something really bad would happen to me, I have got myself set up. I've done the hard work so that my family and dependents are covered. Now, just taking peace of mind, defining and leading a life well lived, we call it, planning for and leaving a legacy, and enjoying high levels of life satisfaction. So the final thing, I said security plus peace of mind. For a lot of people, saving allows them to do that. Think about how they want to leave a legacy, what kind of legacy they're going to leave behind, and for whom. Now, combined, these three slightly less tangible facts, if you like, suggest we can achieve higher levels of life satisfaction through savings. So just a final word about that. What is that all about? Well, higher incomes are associated with higher life satisfaction. Wolfers and Stevenson study showed that. So although a lot of people say, you know, I'm not driven by money, I'm not driven by material possessions, and that may well be true, maybe you're driven by experiences, maybe you're driven by a combination of the two, actually it has been shown that up to a point, higher incomes and higher happiness tend to come together. And this seems to apply at an individual level and also a countrywide level. So on average, it does seem to be that statement is true. All right, and that may actually matter over the long term. So those slightly more intangible benefits I talked about, choice, independence, security and peace of mind, may actually lead overall to a life better lived. And that's the point. What saving is not about then? So just to go back to my very first slide, saving is not about cutting out life's more regular pleasures. You know, I'm not into this stuff that says, if I don't have my favourite coffee every morning, then later on I'll have more money. Yeah, but in the meantime, you're not really enjoying yourself very much. It's not about radical austerity, right? It's not about living in the tiniest place you can for the next 20 years so you can live in a palace later. I don't think that's a life well lived either. And it's not about random unplanned wealth accumulation. Some people just save having no clue 
what they're going to use it for, how much is enough, when they can stop, and so on. So, what is it all about? It is all about common sense, setting realistic objectives. What do you want to achieve from your life well lived, and when, and how much is it going to cost? Pulling together a savings plan, so you're not too depressed, someone doesn't turn around and say, well, you've got to save 500 pounds a month then. And you go, well, I haven't got anything like that to set aside every month. So it's putting those realistic objectives in place, pulling together a plan, and then regularly reviewing your progress, because life changes, your income increases, you come into inheritances, bad things sometimes happen too. So it's about reviewing, going back, and saying, am I on track? Lots of ground covered, editor at killick.com. And if you want to watch videos on topics related to this one, killick.com forward slash learn and the investing principles tab on that side. This podcast does not purport to explain all aspects of this topic in detail and Killick & Co accepts no liability for any reliance placed or investment decisions made from it. Killick & Co is a trading name of Killick & Co LLP who are authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Further details are available on our website www.killick.com.